I became aware of a book this week called The Giver, and it's a uh, futuristic book uh, in which uh, people have been deprived of their emotions. Uh, let's tell you the details, but people have been deprived of their emotions. They have no understanding of what love is. I'm thankful tonight that uh, we can understand what love is. Uh, we can understand God's love, or at least begin to understand God's love for us uh, from the Bible. Uh, love is a, is a deep care for someone that is expressed in doing, uh, doing for someone. And of course, God the Father loved us each so much that he sent his only begotten son to die upon the cross for us. That is a profound love. That's a profound love. And it does lift us. Lord, thank you tonight for your love. I want to ask you tonight to turn back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I had planned to go further this morning uh, in 1 Timothy, but God got us just as far as he wanted. And so tonight I would like to return to the first half of 1 Timothy chapter 2. The first eight verses here in this chapter uh, are very important instruction dealing with prayer. Here Paul is instructing, I should say the Lord is instructing young Pastor Timothy uh, through Paul, through Paul's inspired epistle. Uh, Timothy, of course, at this time, uh, it appears he's, he's pastoring the church there at Ephesus. And in the first chapter uh, of the letter, Paul has taught him about the importance of, of true doctrine, uh, Bible doctrine, and here in the second chapter, Paul is teaching Timothy about the importance of his prayer life uh, as a pastor, and we absolutely can say tonight, by extension, this is God's instruction for us as well. Uh, no doubt the Lord intends that this uh, epistle has been preserved not just for pastors to guide their own prayer, although that certainly would be uh, one of God's purposes, no doubt, but uh, it's been uh, supernaturally preserved by God for the benefit, for the instruction of all believers as well. Uh, and so this morning, uh, we began looking at the chapter and really, uh, really did not get out of the first verse uh, where we see these four components of biblical communication with God, four uh, types of prayer, if you will. And so see the first verse, and, and then I'd like to just continue down through verse 8 reading, uh, and we'll jump in and pick up where we left off this morning. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, uh, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, uh, re prayerful requests to the Lord, prayers, uh, prayerful worship and praise, intercessions, prayer for others, and giving of thanks be made for who? For all men. This includes verse 2, kings, those in authority. For all those uh, that or who are in authority. Why? Uh, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Verse 3 says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom, a payment for all, to be testified in due time. Verse 7, Paul writes, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, 
uh, a messenger. Uh, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. Uh, Paul says he's a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Verity has the idea of truth. And then verse 8, he concludes this portion dealing with prayer, uh, writing, I will therefore. It's his desire. He says, I exhort, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath uh, and doubting, without wrath and doubting. So uh, tonight, uh, things worth praying for, part two. Let's stop there and do pray. Father, thank you tonight for your words, for all of them. Father, thank you for giving your words uh, through uh, men such as Paul. And Lord, thank you for keeping your promise to supernaturally preserve every word and the individual words uh, as you've promised. Lord, I thank you tonight that we have the wonderful privilege to open up the Bible, to be instructed by it. And Father, tonight I know that um, messages like this one are, they're doctrinal, but Lord, we so desperately need true doctrine as you've showed us in the first chapter. We need uh, a biblical doctrine of prayer. Lord, we need to be reminded by you how to pray, what to pray. Lord, we need to be people who praise you and worship you in our prayers and who uh, bring our practical and spiritual needs to you in supplications and who faithfully make intercessions for others and who take care to give thanks to you as you've commanded. Lord, I know tonight that if we'll do that, we can have a, a much stronger, uh, a much more Christ-like walk with you and Father, a life that will bring much greater honor and glory and pleasure to you, Lord. And so, Lord, tonight I pray again that we would avail ourselves of your instruction and commit ourselves to these uh, four legs of prayer, these four pillars of prayer, four uh, components of a biblical prayer life. Father, help us to take this seriously. Uh, help us to take the first step toward making this a habit Lord, of course, we pray tonight that you help us to be led of the Spirit, yielded and guided by you in our prayers. Lord, tonight as I close this prayer, I thank you that we can pray uh, according to your will because of Christ. Lord, because of Christ, all of these things are possible. I thank you tonight for our Savior. Thank you for my Savior. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, which is made possible only by the cross and my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I do thank you. I praise you. I give you honor and glory, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So take a look, please, if you would, back. We're here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, I wanna, I've already reviewed the first verse quickly, but let's do that one more time. Review uh, and re-review is certainly a good thing. Uh, look with me here. Paul exhorts, he encourages uh, strongly, therefore, uh, young Pastor Timothy at Ephesus. First of all, uh, this, this phrase indicates that this is something that, that, that's to have priority uh, in his life. There's all sorts of things that we can uh, fill up our lives with. And sometimes, uh, if we're not careful, we fill up our lives with things that crowd out the things of God. 
uh, and the practices that God has called us to, uh, we forget to give the Lord priority. We forget the preeminence of Christ, and we forget those practices, those spiritual practices that the Lord has, has called us biblically by Scripture, uh, by his inspired and preserved words to give uh, priority to in his life. He says, first of all, uh, and then he lists these four types of prayers, supplications, requests, uh, primarily for myself, remembering to go and pray to the Lord daily for my own uh, physical, practical, and spiritual needs also. And then prayers, worshiping the Lord and taking time to bookend our, our prayer time, our time of communication with the Lord, uh, to begin with worship and to close with worship as Jesus taught us to do uh, in his model prayer. Intercessions, praying for others. Just as, we, uh, just as we pray supplications regarding our own needs, we're called to intercede for others with the Lord on their behalf. And we saw examples of that this morning, not only for the, the, the physical uh, pr and practical needs of, of others uh, in our church, uh, but the spiritual needs of, of individuals around us as well. Uh, and then, of course, the Lord says giving of thanks, taking care uh, to remember when God answers a prayer to give thanks for that answer, uh, to choose to see the answer uh, and to choose to thank God for the answer. Listen, I want to say that again tonight. Too often, all too often, we forget to choose to see answers to prayer. Uh, we pray for something uh, and then we just move on. Uh, we kind of forget to see that, hey, God did answer that prayer, uh, and, and seeing that, observing that God answered it, whether or not the answer was what we desired, but knowing that God, it, God's answer was best, it was what he desired, uh, seeing, choosing to see the answer ought to be a trigger to give thanks. Lord, thank you for uh, answering that prayer request according to your will and if it was a, if it was according to our will you thank god for that lord thank you for giving me uh what i prayed for uh but no matter what a gratitude a gratitude because god's answer and the timing of his answer is always the best answer uh and the best timing so uh, i encourage you tonight and, and that's really what i want to do here tonight is encourage you uh to take care uh, to pray all four legs of this table of prayer, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks, choosing, choosing to do that. Now, as we ended this morning, I, uh, I think I, I quickly hurried into my second point, and, and that's okay, but I want to revisit it tonight and, and do it uh, more justice. And I'm going to call this point two because this is the second part of a message that we began today. I want you to see here uh, at the end of verse one and then moving into verse two that Paul instructs Timothy to pray for all men. And that most certainly includes kings and all those in authority, governments and those who are in places of authority within our uh, civil government. So uh, look here again at verse 1. I exhort, therefore, this is God's instruction to Timothy and to us given through Paul. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for whom? For whom? Remember, I, I've encouraged you to kind of interrogate Scripture with those who, what, where, when, and why questions. If you'll ask those questions, uh, you'll, you'll generally find those answers. Well, well here's the who. Uh, for all men, for everyone, it's not just 
male persons, it's all persons here, uh, everyone. Uh, the Lord is instructing Timothy and as well as us, uh, the members of Long Hill Baptist Church, uh, to take care that we purpose in our prayer life to pray for everyone. Now I realize you can't pray for everyone every day. Uh, you probably can't even pray for everyone in our church every day. Uh, maybe you do, and if you do, that's wonderful. We're a smaller church, and I suppose that would be one of the benefits uh, of being a member of a smaller church. Maybe you can pray. Maybe you can take. Maybe God would burden you to pray for every member of our church every day. Uh, if yes, please do that. Uh, please do that. You certainly can't pray for everyone in the world every day, uh, but we want to come to the Lord, and I want to encourage you to come with yielded hearts, saying, Lord, burden me today to pray for uh, those church members, perhaps relatives, neighbors, co-workers, uh, others who you would have me to pray for as well. The Lord wants us to have a heart to pray for everyone. And of course, we understand we need to be led of the Lord uh, regarding whom to focus on within any uh, given prayer. He says, pray for all men. These things, these prayers be made uh, for all men. Now this morning, I'm pretty sure I mentioned, uh, maybe not, pretty sure I mentioned it. If you look at the uh, inspired letters, the epistles that Paul sent to the specific churches, I'm going to leave Galatians out for a moment because that was sent to uh, all of the churches throughout the region of Galatia. But if you look at Paul's letter at the churches, the specific individual churches that received inspired epistles from Paul, Paul told every single one of those churches that he prayed for all of them. Uh, he, so he's commanding here, or the Lord's commanding through Paul, that we pray for everyone. But Paul is also testifying. He's, he's giving us the example uh, and testifying to an, being an example of someone who actually does that. Now, Paul didn't just have one church to pray for. Uh, he had numerous churches that he had planted, uh, that he prayed for. He prayed for all the members of all of those churches. Uh, he told the church in Rome, make, make a list of just references, please. Uh, he told the church members at Rome in Romans 1, 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, without ceasing, I make mention of you. Remember the Y pronouns, all of them are plural grammatically in the Greek. Uh, I make mention of you always in my prayers. He said, without ceasing, I make mention of all of you is the grammatical meaning of that word you, always, all the time, without ceasing uh, in my prayers. And, and I love how uh, the words that refer to prayer tend to be plural. They're not to be one-off, one-time things. Our life is to be filled with prayer. Just like the Bible is filled with hope and, and God's love, our life is to be filled with prayer to that God. Uh, Paul told the Corinthian church in Corinthians 1 and verse 4, I thank my God always. There's an example of giving of thanks. He says, I thank my God always on your, on, on your behalf. That's a why pronoun. Uh, he's not speaking to one individual. If he was, he would have said thy behalf, the singular pronoun, the singular uh, possessive pronoun. He says, no, I said, he says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you, all of you, uh, by Jesus Christ. He prayed for all of them. And again, he says he did that all the time. Paul 
Paul told the Ephesian church members the same thing uh, in Ephesians 1 and verses uh, 15 and 16. By the way, that book was written uh, to an individual church at Ephesus. There's some debate about that today, but uh, the Bible makes it clear. He wrote to uh, the church at Ephesus and to the members that constituted that church. He said there, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks. Uh, for you, Y-O-U, making mention of you, Y-O-U, plural, in my prayers, plural. You see Paul making it clear that he not only prayed for all the members of these churches, but he prayed without ceasing. He prayed constantly. Uh, he ceased not. Uh, he, he gave thanks for the members of those churches uh, in, in constant, ongoing prayers, uh, prayers of gratitude for all of them, uh, for all of them. He told the Colossian church, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always, there it is again, without ceasing, always for who? For you, Y-O-U, plural. I got two more for you and then I'll stop. Philippians 1 and verse 3. Paul told the Philippian church members, I thank my God. There's gratitude, prayers of thanks. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Y-O-U, plural, grammatically, always in every prayer of mine for you all, he says, making requests with joy. Uh, he prayed for all of them and grammatically uh, emphasized and, and re-emphasized that, if you will. And I want you to hear the last phrase of that verse. I realize you may not be there. I'm moving too fast for you to move with me probably. But uh, he says, making requests, praying with what? Did you hear that J word? With joy. You know, I said this morning that prayer, uh, it can be burdensome when we get upon our knees um, to pray. We're, 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 we're kneeling, we're crawling onto a battleground, quite literally. It's a spiritual battleground, but it's a very real battleground. And it, it, it can be burdensome. Uh, battle can be burdensome. There, there's no question. But I want you to see the possibility of joy. Paul, Paul told the Philippian church members again, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That was a joyful thing as he remembered them. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Now listen, how do you do that? How do you have that kind of joy as you're thinking about the individual needs and all the burdens and the problems that, that you're praying about? Well, joy is fruit of the Spirit. If you will yield to pray according to uh, the Lord's instruction in, in, in uh, this book and in Matthew 6, where Jesus gives his model prayer, uh, the Holy Spirit will bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And, of course, one of those fruit is joy, 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 even in the face of great spiritual battle. Finally, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul told the Thessalonian church members, he said, we give thanks to God always, always, continually, without ceasing, for you all, grammatically all of them, and he says all of them again, making mention of you, you all, in our prayers, plural. Uh, this Paul's, not only is Paul relaying God's command to Timothy, but Paul is practicing that same command uh, and, and he's testifying, he's, he's not bragging about his prayer life here, he's encouraging the individuals for whom he has prayed, uh, humble, yielded prayers according to God's will, and, and no doubt according to the leading of the Spirit of God. 
Paul is, if you will, uh, practicing what he's preaching, and that's a good practice. Lord, help us to not just be hearers of your words, but doers of them as well. Now, Paul quickly moves on here, and uh, in verse 2, he makes it clear that the Lord uh, includes in the definition of all men for the purposes of praying, uh, specifically includes kings, uh, and for all that are in authority, for kings and, and for all uh, who are in authority. The Lord has a great interest uh, in his uh, churches and the individual members of those churches to be people who will pray for our leaders. Now, understand pastors are spiritual leaders within churches. Uh, we have God-given authority within our own assembly, not outside of our own assembly, but within our assembly. And so, uh, perhaps, perhaps you might include here an allusion to praying for your pastor. Uh, I would be grateful for that. I, I know many of you uh, pray constantly. You pray consistently for me, and I'm grateful for that. I need that, and certainly God desires that. Uh, pastors may be included here in the definition of all that are in authority, but the immediate context would be civil leaders, uh, the verse begins with kings, for, with, for kings and for all that are in authority. Uh, so, and so I believe here that the primary application here is exactly what we see here, civil leaders, uh, not necessarily church leaders in view here, but specifically uh, civil leaders, governments and those who constitute the government, those who have civil authority. Let me share with you what one man has written uh, about this phrase here. Uh, one man writes, the reason is, the reason the Lord desires that we pray for civil authorities is that so much depends on their character and their plans, that the security of life, liberty, and property depends so much upon them. God has power to influence their hearts. Uh, he holds the hearts of kings in his hands uh, and to incline them to what is just and equal. And hence, we should pray that a divine influence may descend upon them. The salvation of a king is of itself of no more importance than that of a peasant or a slave. God's no respecter of persons, but the welfare of thousands may depend on him. And hence, or therefore, he should be made the special subject of prayer. I think that's a very good definition, a very good uh, comment on why uh, the Lord likely specifically points to kings and, and all those in authority and specific, uh, takes uh, a phrase to be sure that we not overlook these individuals. Uh, we need to be in the business of continuing uh, to pray for our leaders. And listen, it doesn't say pray for kings and those who are in authority if you agree with them. Uh, the fact is, you probably ought to pray more if you don't agree with them. Amen? Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't say pray for those, those leaders uh, the president and, and representatives and senators at the state and federal level, the ones that you like, pray for. No, it doesn't say that. It says all men for kings and all that are in authority. Uh, and so we're trying to be mindful in our church, especially on Wednesday nights, to pray uh, for leaders in general. And we're highlighting one or two leaders on our prayer sheet each Wednesday night uh, for a special focus in prayer. That's important. That's important. Uh, it's not a political thing. It's a, it's a biblical thing. 
Uh, we're not trying to uh, select those out who we may be inclined to agree with more biblically, uh, politically, perhaps, than others. We, we want to we wanna be uh, a church that prays for all men, for all kings, for all who are in authority. I want to take just a moment tonight, and I, and I won't um, belabor this, but I want to remind us of a few doctrines tonight about uh, governmental leaders and, and those in authority. This is appropriate uh, as, as we look at the political problems that our nation faces today, as we consider uh, an upcoming election as well. Please do be praying for the election, by the way. Uh, that's critically important. It's biblically important, not a political statement. Uh, I want to remind you tonight of a few things. Number one, the Bible teaches that specific uh, individual leaders are ordained of God. That's Romans 13 and verse 1. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the Lord chooses individuals to serve in specific places uh, within civil governments. Uh, none of that is outside of God's control. All of that is within God's control. Each and every individual leader is ordained uh, of God. That means by God, according to Romans 13 and verse 1. Now, you may look at that and say, boy, God, I don't know about your choices. Hopefully you would not question God. Uh, you understand that God has a purpose for every, uh, every move that he makes. Uh, he does not operate randomly. Uh, he is a God uh, of, of volition, of will, and purpose. Uh, and so you can be certain tonight that uh, if God allows uh, a civil leader uh, with whom you do not agree politically, uh, and by the way, do allow your, your understanding of Scripture to influence your, your, your political uh, positions, that, that just makes good sense. Uh, that just makes good sense. I think there's too many Christians out there who've decided that their uh, political philosophy and their biblical philosophy, uh, their spiritual life and their, and their political opinions uh, can be completely divorced from each other. Well, that just doesn't make sense at all. Uh, the Bible, which uh, represents God's will, uh, should influence every sphere of our lives, our home life, our work life, our, our church life, uh, our life in the community, and most certainly, almost certainly the political positions that we take. In any event, the Bible is clear that the Lord ordains of God. God ordains individual leaders. Daniel 14 and verse 7 says the Lord gives will to whomsoever, a rule, gives rule to whomsoever he will. Uh, and 1 Peter 2 and verse 14 says that rulers are sent by him. So the Bible says uh, our leaders are ordained of God. He gives rule to whomsoever he will, and our rulers are sent by him. Again, you may not understand some of those, uh, some of those choices, if you will, uh, but God has great purpose. Uh, his purpose for civil government uh, most certainly includes uh, protection and, and, and care uh, for his people. Romans 13 and verse 3, the Bible says, rulers are not a, a terror to good works, uh, but to the evil. Uh, God has ordained government in large part to protect from evildoers, lawbreakers, if you will. Uh, and so it's very reasonable tonight for God's people to obey the Lord's command that we not only pray for leaders, but to submit to the civil authorities uh, as the Bible commands. Hear a verse, please. Hear this verse. Write down 1 Peter 2 and verse 13. Please write down that reference. 1 Peter 2 and verse 13, here's a command from the Lord uh, given to us uh, through Peter. 
There, the Lord commands, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Uh, that's the primary purpose of government, to maintain law and order, orderliness, and for the praise of them that do well. That's another, a related purpose, sort of the other side of the coin. Uh, we are called to be people who, may I say this, uh, are not rioting in the streets against God-ordained authorities, but rather submitting to those authorities and praying uh, for those authorities. Well, yes, Pastor, but what if the authorities are, are attempting to compel God's people to be ungodly? Well, that's, that's the limit. That's the line that the Bible crosses. The Lord does not say, um, you know, follow civil leaders into some terrible sin. No, we're called biblically to obey the civil authorities right up to that point, as I've said so often, right up to that point at which they would attempt to compel us to disobey the Lord. We see that in Acts 5 and verse 29, uh, where the Bible says we ought to obey God rather than men. Yes, obey the civil authorities that God has ordained, uh, those whom he's sent, uh, those who reflect his will, but we should not, we should take care to recognize where the line is, where the line is. I want to add tonight one thing, and, and this is terribly important. It's terribly important. We as believers, as biblicists, people of God's word, we have to take care to make sure that not only our prayer life uh, and our hearts reflect God's will about how we relate to uh, civil authorities, but also that our actions, all of our actions regarding civil authorities reflect the will of God. Uh, listen, please, according to 2 Timothy 2 uh, and verse 10, uh, it is a mark of fleshly carnal individuals to despise government and speak evil of dignities. The Bible says there, even the angels refrain from railing against powers. And I believe that's a reference both to human authorities and to spiritual powers or, or demons, uh, perhaps. The Bible makes it very clear that rather than railing against, uh, speaking against, uh, may I say uh, railing against leaders on Facebook would be included uh, as a modern application of this verse, we are called to refrain from that. We are called to refrain from that and instead to invest ourselves in praying for leaders, uh, and I dare say especially when we disagree, especially when we might feel most compelled to speak against leaders or most compelled to uh, rail against them in a, in a Facebook post, that ought to be instead a prompt to pray for leaders. Now, I'm not saying that it's always wrong to express a concern about a leader. Understand that, please. Sometimes it's very proper to express a concern, but with a right heart, with the heart of uh, a heart to uh, call our community into a greater obedience to God, uh, with that heart, with the heart that reflects an understanding that uh, God says this is sin uh, and this is obedience. And where there's a, a chasm in a leader's behavior between uh, what is right and, and what he or she practices, it's not wrong to identify that, but with the right heart, 
uh, not railing against, but expressing concern in a respectful manner uh, and prayerfully taking care to pray instead of railing against those authorities that God has ordained. The big takeaway tonight for this verse, chapter 2, verse 2, is that God wants us to pray for our leaders, all of them, all of them. And so we will as church. I encourage you to do the same in your daily prayer life at home. The Lord gives us reasons here uh, tonight, and, and this will be number three, and, and we're done. Uh, the Lord gives us reasons to pray as he instructs here. Don't you appreciate that? God says to do something, uh, and he clarifies, includes these people over here. And uh, I, I, I love when God gives us the reason, when he gives us a window into his purposes for that which he has commanded. Don't you appreciate that? I've said recently, I'll say it again tonight, it's good just to do what God says because God has said, knowing that that's, that that's what will please him. But very often, or at least some of the time, God will give us uh, a window into his rationale, his intentions, uh, his desires, his reasons why he wants us to do a certain thing. Uh, and we see at least two reasons, at least two reasons tonight that we should pray uh, for all men, including our leaders. In verse 2, it says, for kings and for all that are in authority, that, remember, whenever you see that, or when it's used like this at least, you may read it as so that. And, and here's the so that. Here's the why, if you will. So that what? Read the verse with me, please. So that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Listen, the Lord wants us to pray for governments and governmental leaders in part, in part, so that believers, so that believers may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Uh, listen, here's, here's what one man has to say about that. I think he has this uh, absolutely correct. He says, uh, so that uh, the hearts of leaders may be so inclined to what is right that they may protect us in the enjoyment of religion. And, and by that, he means uh, exercising our biblical faith. And that we may not be opposed or harassed by persecution. This does not mean that their protection would dispose us to lead quiet and peaceful lives, but that under their protection, we may be saved from oppression on account of our religion, our faith, you understand. Uh, this man continues, Christians are disposed of themselves, or by the Lord separately, to be peaceful and orderly. They ask of their rulers only that they may not be harassed in the enjoyment of their rights. Now listen, I understand that we are very blessed to live in a nation where uh, we have a right to free assembly, we have a freedom of religion. By the way, that's not a freedom from religion, it's a freedom of religion. Uh, we have been blessed with a Bill of Rights that has afforded us uh, tremendous liberty uh, to meet and to preach and to share our faith uh, in a way that other countries simply do not have uh, the same protection. Even in a country uh, uh, like England, uh, there is no written constitution uh, that defines uh, religious liberties. There's, a, there's a, a tradition of protecting liberties up to a point, 
Uh, but you understand e even England has a state religion that has far more protection than uh, independent Baptist churches have. And having visited there last summer, uh, we got to understand some of the realities of that. Uh, independent Baptist churches in England, for example, cannot legally own property. Uh, they, they, individual churches cannot legally own property. And so uh, we have uh, been blessed with great liberty in our country. Uh, it's not to be taken for granted. Uh, if you take it for granted, you, you forget to pray for it. Please do not take our liberties uh, for granted. Please pray for our leaders uh, and, and pray specifically and regularly that they would protect the religious liberties that we enjoy in our nation at this time. Uh, they are profoundly uh, precious liberties that we enjoy uh, and most certainly worthy of our investing some time uh, in prayer on a regular basis. Lord, have your hand upon our leaders. Lord, give us, um, give us uh, favor with our governmental authorities. Uh, Lord, move in their hearts. You, 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 have, uh, you have your hearts in their hands. Move in their hearts uh, to protect our liberties. Uh, we understand there's been great concern about uh, religious liberties uh, throughout this coronavirus. And uh, you've seen how quickly and how easily a government can curtail religious liberties. Now, we understand there, there was a, a good reason to do so uh, in recent months. But the next time around, it may not be a good reason. It may not be about the health and safety of individuals. It may be someone else's political agenda. It would not take much. It would not take much at this stage uh, of, of our nation's history uh, for the government to begin to curtail our liberties for very different reasons. Let us pray. Let us pray for our leaders against that possibility. Uh, why else should we pray for them? Why else should we pray uh, here as the Lord instructs? Well, verse 3 says, this is good. This is good and acceptable in the sight of whom? What does it say there? Uh, in the sight of God, our Savior. Here, here the God the Father is called our Savior. I understand there, there's a sense in which Christ is our Savior. He's the one that went to the cross. But here the Father is called our, our Savior. And that's a wonderful thought. We can't really get into that tonight. But this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Uh, God desires this. This is good in his eyes. Uh, may I say this? If something is good in God's eyes, it is good. It is objectively, uh, objectively, there we go, good. Uh, it is absolutely good and, and true uh, and acceptable in the sight of God. And uh, I think if we glean nothing else from that phrase, that verse, we see God desires this. Uh, it's good and God desires it. And so we need to take care uh, to take up the, these verses and incorporate uh, prayer for leaders into our regular prayer life. Now, the next couple of verses teach some wonderful doctrine regarding the Lord uh, and salvation. And of course, we don't want to skip over these things. Um, the verses do deal with the nature of salvation. Um, and I would say this about these verses before we look at them. Uh, the immediate context being prayer for government and governmental leaders, kings and all who are in authority, that, that establishes the immediate context. We get to a couple of verses immediately following 
that deal with doctrine of, of the Lord and, and salvation, soteriology, um, it would seem to imply, Brother Ray, these verses would seem to imply, the context would seem to imply that the Lord would desire us to pray for the, the salvation of our leaders. And we do, right? We, whenever we pray for leaders in our church, we take care uh, to pray for their salvation unless we know they have a clear testimony of, of biblical salvation. Well, let's see the verses. At the end of verse 3, uh, Paul is making reference to God our Savior. And then running right into verse 4, it says this, Who will have all men, it's, it's the desire of God our Savior, uh, he, he desires, he will have all men to be saved. Uh, the language is, is a clear reference back to prayer for all men in verse 1, right? End of verse 1, all men. Here we see that phrase again here in verse 4, all men. So you make connections. The Lord will establish these language connections for us. Uh, pray for all men, uh, all four types of prayer. And included in that, the, the suggestion here is the strong suggestion, if you will, is that God would have us to pray for the salvation now uh, of all men. God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of what are the next two words? Uh, my, my two men who are here in the building with me tonight, what are the next two words? The knowledge of the truth, uh, the one true version of the truth, not the relative pick your own truth, but the one version of truth that God defines uh, in his word. He's the God of truth. He defines the one truth. And again, the truth that's being alluded to here in context is the truth of salvation, the way of salvation. Uh, God, our Savior, will have all men to be saved. It's his desire that all would be saved. Therefore, we conclude that all can be saved uh, to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5 says this, for there is one God, there's one God in one mediator between God and men, comma, the man, Christ Jesus. Now you understand Christ Jesus is God the Son. He came as a man. That's what this verse is alluding to here. Uh, he came as a man. Remember when he came as a man, he was no less God. He came as 100% God, 100% man. Uh, in Bible college, they call that the hypostatic union uh, of Christ. Uh, yes, the Lord chose to set aside exercising some of his attributes when he came as a man. That does not mean that he could, he, he could have exercised them. Uh, it does mean that he could exercise them, but simply that he, he chose to set some aside, the, the, the exercise of some aside. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Again, the context is that we ought to pray for the salvation of all men, including those who are in authority, kings and all those uh, who are in authority. I'll, I want to just look at a couple of the, the phrases here. Verse 5 says, for there's one God, one God. I've been working on a project um, at home, and in, in the course of studying for this project, um, I, I read an article in which um, a man did a study of all the idols that, that you see in Scripture. And uh, he, counted at, he counted and named from Scripture at least 38 different idols that are worshipped in Scripture. At least 38 different idols that are, that are worshipped throughout the Bible. 
Uh, may I say this? The, the worship of many idols in Scripture does not change the fact that there is only one God. There is only one true God. Uh, there is only one God uh, in the sense of one God who is a genuine God, the, a true God. Uh, the Bible makes it clear over and over again. There's no other God. There is no other God except the one God uh, who is the Lord. I understand he somehow exists uh, as uh, in a triune manner. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct individuals uh, who somehow constitute one God. I don't understand that, but I accept it because the Bible teaches that. Isaiah 44 and verse 6 says this, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. There is no God beside the Lord. And so that's the message that, of course, we need to get to the world. Listen, there's one God. There's not, you don't get to choose from many. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. There's one way of salvation, repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, not a way, the way and the truth, not a truth, uh, and the life. There's no other way to have eternal life except by turning to Christ and placing your faith in what he did upon the cross. Now listen, I want you to stop and consider for a moment uh, the fact that the Lord uh, makes reference to this one God idea. Um, it's, it's hopefully a very basic thing for believers in our church to bear in mind that there's one God. Many false gods who are falsely worshipped in Scripture, at least 38, as I've said. Um, we're to refrain from any kind of idolatry, uh, worshipping anything else other than God. Uh, we've said many times that that would include making idols of ourselves. Uh, there is a, a wicked tendency in our sin nature to make idols of ourselves and to make our own desires to make ourselves the, the object of worship. That is a wicked tendency that, that we need to war against. Um, I want to share a couple of related thoughts tonight um, as we close. I want to take care that you don't take this the wrong way, but uh, there, there's, some, there's some forms of idolatry that I believe that we've seen uh, in the world in recent months that, that we need to stand guard against. I want to be very careful that you hear everything that I say about this. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Please hear the whole thing. I believe that um, in the last several months, as we've seen coronavirus come and begin to trail off and, and now coming back, at least in some parts of the country, um, we've seen many people give in to the temptation to make health and wellness an idol. Let that sink in for a moment. To make health and wellness an idol. To make health and wellness their ultimate goal in life. Now, I understand tonight that health and wellness is important. Uh, we're, we're called to pray for the afflicted, and God will often heal the afflicted. I understand tonight that we need a degree of health and wellness to carry out the purposes that God has given us. 
Uh, you also understand that in the absence of health and wellness, as long as you're alive, you still have a ministry that you can carry out. Maybe that's praying, a prayer ministry. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. As long as you can speak, you, you can pray, and you can, you can share the gospel. Um, but you understand what I'm saying tonight. Uh, I believe that this, this pandemic has um, exposed, and, and in a fairly ugly way at times, the tendency to make an idol of health and wellness. And of course, that's making an idol of ourselves. Uh, prioritizing health and wellness, while, while those are important things, but making them a priority in our lives that crowds out uh, those things that ought to be a greater priority. The Lord, <laughs> worshiping, uh, taking time to pray. Uh, we have to take great care tonight to war against anything that could become an idol in our lives. Careers can become idols. Wealth can become an idol that we serve. Uh, resumes and building resumes can become an idol that we serve. Uh, and yes, focusing on health and, and wellness can very much uh, become an idol. None of those things that I mentioned are inherently wrong. It's when they get elevated in importance above that which is healthy and balanced and biblical uh, that these things become these things become a problem and more like an idol. The Lord says here there's one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. He's the only way uh, of salvation. I've already mentioned tonight, I'll say again as we uh, are about to close, in, in John 14, 6, Jesus exclaimed to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way. There's no other way. If you're listening tonight and, and you've been trusting in your goodness, if you've been trusting in your good works uh, to get yourself into heaven, as Zach shared this morning, that is a basic premise of Islam. Uh, if, you've, if you've been trusting, as Muslims do, that your good works, if they outweigh your bad works, if the scale tips in favor of goodness, uh, if you've been trusting in that, uh, you are on your way to hell, according to Scripture. But you can make a decision to turn from that false belief, uh, to repent of that, to turn to Christ, and place your faith in what he did upon the cross. You understand tonight from the Bible, God says that we're saved by grace through faith. Uh, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God that we obtain when we simply place our faith in Christ. We cannot earn our salvation. It's already been earned for us by God the Son at the cross of Christ. Uh, if, you, if you've been trusting in your goodness for salvation, uh, you've made an idol of self. That thought, that idea will take you all the way to hell uh, and keep you there for all of eternity according to scripture. We don't like that idea. We desperately don't like that idea, but it is an absolutely true biblical idea. No one has to die and go to hell. Everyone may be saved. Our passage tonight makes it clear that God desires that all be saved. Uh, and so those of us who are saved, please pray. Pray for the salvation of others, uh, including our leaders. Uh, verses 6 and 7 here describe Christ, our Savior. He gave himself a ransom for all. He paid the price for all of us and all of our sins upon the cross. Uh, he's the God that deserves to be worshipped. Uh, verse 7, whereunto Paul says, I am a preacher and an apostle. He's a preacher of the truth of the gospel of Christ, an apostle, a messenger of Christ. He says, I speak the truth, 
the one version of truth that is true in Christ, and I lie not. Uh, I'm being honest. He says he's a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Verity is truth. And he concludes this section on prayer, adding, and we'll see this and we'll close. He says, I will, I desire, wherefore, that men pray everywhere, everywhere, uh, with a holiness, with a holiness. He says, lifting up holy hands. This is a metaphor picturing a righteous life without wrath, which is anger, uh, and doubting. This word doubting here is a, is a little bit difficult. The underlying word refers to one who disputes or argues. It, wrath and doubting go hand in hand in, in that sense here. Uh, without anger, without doubting, without uh, disputations and, and arguments, with a, with a heart that is not given over to uh, investing ourselves in, in disunity, but rather um, or rallying against authorities or rallying against people, instead reinvesting, withdrawing that energy from that account and reinvesting it in uh, the Lord's desire, as revealed here, which would be humble, holy, yielded prayer supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to have a prayer life that is balanced and includes all four of those legs of a healthy prayer life. Um, we saw last week we have some things that are worth fighting for, taking a stand for, and we also have some things that are worth getting down on our knees and praying for. Lord, help us to be people who pray according to your word. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you tonight for your words. Thank you tonight, Lord, for the amazing privilege that we have to pray, to talk to you, to have an audience with the Lord of all things, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our creator, sustainer of all things. Lord, we're not worthy of this privilege. Help us to treasure it, to value it as a precious privilege. Father, help us tonight to be people of worshipful prayer, of intercessory, intercessory prayer, of thankful prayer, people who take time to make supplications for ourselves, not because we're prideful uh, people who make idols of ourselves, but we are people who recognize that uh, we have needs, and, and you are the source by which our needs may be met. Lord, help us to be thankful when you meet those needs. Father, help us to be prayerful for our leaders, for government, and for uh, the individual members of our government, our leaders, those who have authority. Lord, help us to pray for the salvation of all men, including leaders. Father, I pray as we make a new habit of prayer that is more biblical, according to these verses, that you would bless, that you would answer, that we would see people saved, people in our personal lives, people in our church uh, family. I mean, I mean to say family members of our, our church family, governmental leaders, neighbors, coworkers, family members.
Lord, teach us to be thankful and to take care to thank you for answering our prayers. Lord, I thank you tonight for my salvation. I thank you for the salvation of my wife and my son. I pray for them and thank you for the salvation of each member of our church. I pray for them. Lord, I'm grateful. Father, I love you tonight. Thank you so much for your words and the privilege to preach them. I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to retain that which we've heard and Lord, that you'd give us grace to walk in, to apply, to live those things that you've shown us tonight. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.